This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ما بعد. So alhamdulillah welcome back to our um, beginning uh, of our new series uh, and this will be concentrating on the life and times of Uthman ibn Affan, uh, the third caliph of Islam. And as usual we begin uh, as we begin all of the biographies with the lineage and the family and the background. So today, inshallah ta'ala, we're going to cover basically everything that we know pre-Islam and his conversion of Islam. And then inshallah, next week we will do his main uh, highlights as a Muslim. And then inshallah, after that, we'll begin his reign as a Khalifa, as a Caliph. So we begin with Uthman ibn Affan, ibn Abil As, ibn Umayyah, ibn Abd shams ibn Abd Manaf, ibn Qusay ibn Kilab. So the Prophet sallallahu and him joined together on the fourth grandfather, okay? Because Muhammad ibn Abdullah ibn, everybody should know. Muhammad ibn Abdullah ibn, Muhammad ibn Abdullah ibn, Abdul Muttalib ibn, Abdul Muttalib ibn, Hashim ibn, Abdi Manaf, okay? So, uh, it joins with Abdi Manaf, okay? So, the Prophet's great-great-grandfather and Uthman's great-great-grandfather are the same. And that is Abdi Manaf. Okay, Abdi Manaf ibn uh, Qusay. Now, Abdi Manaf ibn Qusay, uh, he had two sons. Uh, that is Abdi Shams and Hashim. And from them you have the, uh, the basically the clan of the Banu Abdi Shams and the clan of the Banu Hashim. Okay, so you have the Banu Hashim, then you have the Banu Abdi Shams. However, the Banu Abdi Shams eventually became known as the Banu Umayyah. Because of Abdi Shams' most prominent son, Umayyah. So the Banu Abdul Shams, the Banu Umayyah, this is basically one clan, and the Banu Hashim is the other clan. And these two clans were closer together than many of the other sub-clans of the Quraysh. So there was friendship between these two clans, but along with this, as is the case with friends and cousins, there was also some rivalry. Okay, so the Banu Abdul Shams, which is the Banu Umayyah, you understand Banu Umayyah, Banu Abdul Shams is the same for our purposes. And the Banu Hashim, they are close compared to let's say the Banu Abdul or the Banu Adi, they are close. Yet there's also some uh, rivalry, and this is of course the common thing that happens between cousins, between close friends, that there are good friends, but at the same time that friendship can also be moved into some type of rivalry and competition. And this is well known between the uh, Umayyads, and the Hashemites, and of course, eventually this will lead to the Abbasid dynasty, which is a Hashemite dynasty. Okay, I'm jumping the gun here, a hundred years. But the Umayyad clan had friction with the Banu Hashim for throughout its era. And eventually the, the Banu Hashim revolted against the Umayyads, and the Banu Hashim became the Abbasids, Banu Abdul, the, uh, Abba, uh, the sons of Abbas, basically the Abbasids. I'm jumping the gun here. In any case, so uh, Uthman ibn Affan belongs to the Umayyad clan. And of course, the Umayyad clan has many prominent members. The most prominent is Abu Sufyan, the famous Abu Sufyan. Abu Sufyan, who is known from the beginning of the seerah, 
Abu Sufyan who leads Badr. Abu Sufyan who causes Badr, I should say. Abu Sufyan who leads Uhud. Abu Sufyan who's in charge of the Khandaq, right? Abu Sufyan who reluctantly embraces Islam the day before the Prophet enters Mecca. Right? This is the Abu Sufyan. The senior most leader who eventually converts is Abu Sufyan. Right? This is Abu Sufyan. And Abu Sufyan, how is he related to Muawiyah? Uh, Muawiyah is his father. How is he related to Uthman? How is he related to Uthman? No. His father's cousin. Muawiyah is his second cousin. Okay? Abu Sufyan is his father's first cousin. And Abu Sufyan's son is Muawiyah who becomes the founder of the Umayyad dynasty. And the founder of the Umayyad dynasty, Muawiyah, is Uthman's second cousin. We need to understand this basic family lineage because this deals very much with our, with our um, history. So Abu Sufyan is, if you like, his father's brother, which is in their parlance it would be an uncle. It would be an uncle. The father's cousin, sorry, the father's cousin. It will be their um, uncle and Muawiyah becomes his second cousin. Now this is going to play a huge role in the problems that are going to take place in the reign of Ali ibn Abi Talib. Because Ali is Banu, Banu Hashim, right? And Muawiyah is Banu Umayyah. And this will bring up the rivalries and eventually this will lead to the formation of the Umayyad um, dynasty. So, uh, the, so Uthman is from the Banu Umayyah. And the Prophet ﷺ has a relationship with the Banu Umayyah as well. Because he marries into this clan. One of our mothers is Ummi Habiba binti Abi Sufyan. And so the Umayyads are also of the in-laws of the Prophet ﷺ. And therefore Ummi Habiba, his wife, is a second cousin of Uthman. So there's another relationship over there. Okay, because Abu Habiba is the daughter of Abu Sufyan. And Abu Sufyan, we just said, is the uh, father's cousin of Uthman. Okay, so this is another relationship. And there is yet a third relationship. Okay, so there are three ways that Uthman is linked with the Prophet. The most obvious great great grandfather is the same. Then we have the Prophet's wife is his second cousin. So it is an in law. Then we have yet a third relationship. And that is a rather interesting one. And that is that Uthman's grandmother, his mother's mother. So directly, mother's mother. Uthman's mother's mother. Uh, Uthman's mother was Arwa. And Arwa's mother was Al-Bayda binti Abdul Muttalib. Now this is going to be a little bit thinking deeply about this. Okay, Uthman's grandmother is the daughter of Abdul Muttalib. Okay? So, the Prophet's aunt is his grandmother. First, the full aunt. His father's sister is his grandmother. Okay? So, the Prophet's uh, aunt, his father's sister, Abdullah's sister, her daughter is the mother of Uthman. Okay? So, Abdullah's sister, her name is Al-Bayda. And Al-Bayda had children of them is Arwa. And Arwa is the one who married Affan. Uthman ibn Affan. He, she married Affan. And so, the Prophet ﷺ and Uthman are in fact, in fact, he is, his mother Arwa is the Prophet's first cousin. 
His mother Arwa is the Prophet's first cousin. And so Uthman is a type of nephew to the Prophet. So you see all of these interesting relationships come uh, together. Now, what threw me off for a while today was that it is mentioned in a number of books that Arwa was the twin sister of Abdullah. Arwa was the twin sister of Abdullah. And this I found a little bit problematic. Because the Prophet's father and Uthman's grandmother, therefore this means they are the same age. And I found this to be a little bit head-scratching. How so? Age doesn't seem to make sense. Right? Because how... Now you guys are following the problem? Or are you already lost? Are you even paying attention? <laughs> okay, alhamdulillah. You're looking for the light? Okay. Okay, alhamdulillah. So, why is this problematic? So you have two generations versus one generation. Right? And they're both supposed to be the same age. So Abdullah and Arwa are supposed to be twins. And it is said that Arwa, or we know that Arwa is Uthman's grandmother, whereas Abdullah is the Prophet's father. So what is the age difference between... Arwa, Arwa is the mother. Sorry, sorry. Al-Bayda, my, my issue. Sorry, my bad. Al-Bayda and Abdullah are the same age. Make sense now? Sorry, my bad. Al-Bayda and Abdullah are the same age. Now, what is the age difference between Uthman and the Prophet This is the key. All the books agree that Uthman was around five and a half years younger than the Prophet To me, this was a bit of a problem. Because if Uthman is five and a half years younger, then to say that his grandmother and the Prophet's father should have been the same age seems to be somewhat um, problematic. So, I spent some time trying to figure this out because is it possible or not? And this is what I, Allah knows best. So, Abdullah married, Abdullah being the Prophet's father, married at what age? Very young. Very young. Between 18 to 20. Okay? And the Prophet was born immediately. So, Suppose Abdullah had lived, let's suppose that he didn't die, suppose we, get, we move on, okay? So, what age is Al-Bayda going to be? The same as Abdullah, they are twins, okay? Now, uh, Uthman's grandmother would have also been, obviously, at this age, uh, basically, uh, Uthman's grandmother, when, the, when Uthman was born, must have been between 23 to 26 years old. Because the Prophet Muhammad was five years old when Uthman is born. Five to six years old when Uthman is born. You guys following? The Prophet Muhammad is five to six years old when Uthman is born. How old would Abdullah have been if he had been alive? 25. Okay. Which would have been the age of Uthman's grandmother. You guys following? Okay. Maximum 25, 26 years old. Not more than this. Can you be a grandmother at the age of 26? Ah, uh, so technically, in that society, it was possible. Very, it's not impossible, but it's not common. 
Okay, Imam al-Shafi'i, Imam al-Shafi'i very famously mentioned in his book Kitab al-Um that he has met, he himself said that I met a grandmother who was 20 years old. This is Imam al-Shafi'i writing 200 years after, uh, 157 years after the Prophet is writing in his Kitab al-Um, the famous book. Okay, in those days they would marry early as we know. And in fact, society would marry early, not just Arabs, the whole world would marry early as I've mentioned many times in other lectures. So, Technically then, technically then, it is possible that Al-Bayda and Abdullah were twins. And Al-Bayda would have been in her late 20s, and Arwa would have been in her early teens. And Uthman is just born at that time. So, because I found this very bizarre, sat down, figured out some dates, and said, you know what, it is possible. It's not the norm, it is possible. What this also shows, which is very interesting, and that's more important than the fact that they were twins, is that Abdullah and Arwa were full siblings. Abdullah and Arwa were full siblings, because Abdul Muttalib, Abdullah, sorry, I'm getting confused. Abdullah and Bayda, my bad. Abdullah and Bayda were full siblings. How many, how many children did Abdul Muttalib have? How many wives did Abdul Muttalib have? Abdul Muttalib. Just one of them has to be right, huh? <laughs> Abdul Muttalib, the Prophet's grandfather in the days of Jahiliyyah, of course, this is before the coming of Islam. Abdul Muttalib had throughout his life six wives. Okay? And from these six wives, he had quite a lot of children. We actually don't, there's a whole list in the ikhtilaf, whatnot. But uh, the wife who gave birth to most children was the grandmother of the Prophet. Okay, her name was Fatima, by the way. Her name was Fatima. And Fatima uh, gave birth to three boys and five girls. Eight children. One woman gave birth to eight children. So the bulk of Abdul Muttalib's children come from Fatima. Was that clear? For example, Abu Lahab was a single child with the mother. For example. Okay? Others were like single or two. I forgot the name of the first wife, but Al-Harith, the, the eldest, was from a wife in Jahiliyyah who died. He had only one brother and she died. So, and Al-Hadith was the, uh, the eldest of all of the children of Abdul Muttalib. When the incident of Zamzam happens, Al-Hadith is a teenager. When the incident of Zamzam rediscovery, Al-Hadith is a teenager. So he is literally 40, 50 years older than Abdullah, way much older. So the point being that uh, Fatima had uh, around eight children, uh, three boys and five girls. And the three boys are, the full brothers are Abdullah. Abu Talib, La Zubair. Abbas is not the full uncle. Zubair. Okay, so these are the three full brothers. And then there are five sisters. And one of those sisters is, which one? Al-Bayda. Al-Bayda. Safiya as well, by the way. But, no, sorry. Safiya is not. Safiya is from Hamza. Safiya and Hamza are together. No, Safiya is not the full. Um, so in any case, the point being that Uthman ibn Affan, therefore, his grandmother is the full aunt of the Prophet ﷺ. Okay? So there are three relationships that Uthman ibn Affan has with the Prophet ﷺ. And therefore, in this regard, of course, he is one of the closest of the companions. And out of the four khulafa, of course, Ali radiallahu anhu is the closest in terms of nasab. And then after that is Uthman. And then Abu Bakr and then Umar. In terms of nasab. You get what I'm saying? In terms of lineage. 
Okay? Ali radiallahu an, and then Uthman, and then Abu Bakr, and then Umar ibn al-Khattab. Uh, so this is the lineage of Uthman ibn Affan. The kunya, or the, the, the Arabs as you know used to have a kunya. The kunya of, uh, of Uthman was Abu Amr. He was known as Abu Amr in the days of Jahiliyyah. However, he changed his kunya after uh, he married Ruqayya, the daughter of the Prophet and a son was given to them, was, give, was blessed to them by Allah Azza wa Jal, who was named Abdullah. So his kunya was then changed to Abu Abdullah. And so Abdullah is of course one of the grandchildren of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And we'll talk a little bit about him today. We don't know much about Abdullah, but we'll talk just a little bit about him uh, today. So his kunya was Abu Amr, and then it became Abu Abdullah. Okay, so this is the Abu Abdullah, uh, Uthman ibn Affan. And we have one more thing to discuss, and I've said this many times, every time we discuss a famous personality, the Arabs would have a number of things they would have. They would have the lineage, which is in Arabic the Nasab. They would have the Kunya, which is the Abu or Um. Then they would have the Laqab, or the nickname or the title. So this is the nickname or the title. The Arabs would love to give lots of names. And by the way, to this day still, many Arabs, they have, you know, uh, the, the, the name and the kunya and the average non-Arab gets confused. Like, wait, I thought his name was Muhammad. Where'd Abu Abdullah come from? No, Abu Abdullah is Muhammad. So they're still very common uh, to this day. So what was the laqab or what was the, 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 the title that people knew Uthman by? It is the famous title of Dhun-Nurayn. Dhun-Nurayn, all of you know this. Dhun-Nurayn is the famous title of Uthman ibn Affan. Now, I tried to look up, did the Prophet Muhammad himself name him Dhun-Nurayn? Or was this something that later people uh, did? And I could not find any hadith. I could not find any hadith of the Prophet So my assumption is that this is from the Sahaba. Because we know that the Tabi'un knew him by Dhun-Nurayn. So it's well known even by the time of the Tabi'un that he is Dhun Nurain, the one with two lights. So who would have named him this? If the Prophet had done it, we would have found a hadith. And I did not find any hadith and Allah knows best. So it's not the Prophet therefore the Sahaba would have named him Dhun Nurain, the one who is blessed with two lights. And it is well known why he is called Dhun Nurain. In one of our uh, books of history, uh, one of the Tabi'un Al-Muhallab ibn Abi Safra was asked, and he was one of the politicians of the Umayyas and a distant relative, and uh, somebody who worked with Muawiyah radiallahu an, that he was asked, why is Uthman called the one with the two lights? What is the reason why Uthman is called Dhun Nurain? And he replied, because it is not known for any other person in history that he lowered the curtain on two daughters of a prophet other than him. Uh, lowering the curtain is an Arabic expression which means of course being uh, intimate with. Okay, it's an Arabic expression which is polite expression that you close the bedroom door, let's say. Okay, so there was no person in human history that we know of that was married to two daughters of a prophet other than Uthman ibn Affan. And so the daughters of the Prophet ﷺ, being who they are, he is called the one with two lights, Dhun-Nurayn. The one who was blessed with two lights, uh, he was blessed with two. Now there is another interpretation as well, which is not that common, and frankly, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't make sense particularly. But some ulama say he was called Dhun Nurain because he was of those who prayed tahajjud at night and he read a lot of Quran. And praying tahajjud is one light, and reading Quran is another light. So he is the one 
of two lights because he's reading long tahajjud. But the response to this is that he wasn't the only person to read long tahajjud with lots of Quran. Lots of Sahaba and Tabi'un did this. So Allah knows best, it's pretty clear that he was called Dhun Nurain because he was married to two daughters of the Prophet one after the other. And no other human being in history has ever been married to two daughters of a Prophet other than Uthman ibn Affan. So this is a unique blessing in human history given to this individual, Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And of course the two daughters are Ruqayya and Ummi Kulthum. Ruqayya and Ummi Kulthum. Uh, At-Tabari in his tariq, he mentions a little bit about how Uthman looked. And he said Uthman was of average height, thin appearance, with a heavy beard, and he had large joints and bones, and his hands were relatively long. So a thin, skinny type of person, whose bones and hands are relatively long, and an aquiline nose, a narrow, perfectly shaped uh, nose, and his hair was typically below the earlobes. In those days, men would typically have uh, long hair. So Uthman ibn Affan, the image that we have of him, was a relatively thin man, uh, not very, very muscular like Umar ibn Khattab. We know that he was a very muscular person with broad shoulders. Uthman was not like that. He was a relatively uh, skinnier man uh, and uh, not that much flesh and not that much muscle. Uh, and he was a person uh, who was not very tall, not very short, of average of average uh, stature. And it is also mentioned that his skin color uh, was lightish, wheatish brown, which was the color of the Quraysh overall. And again, he's a pure Qurayshi. So uh, uh, the Quraysh overall, they were of this skin tone, which is uh, a lightish brownish complexion. And this was the color of Uthman ibn Affan. Uh, Uthman ibn Affan, his personal life, uh, of course, he was one of the longest Sahaba who lived. He died at the, past the age of 80. And so during the course of his life, uh, he married multiple times. And uh, a total of eight women he married over the course of 50-something years. Uh, and his first and second wives were the daughters of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Ruqayya and of course Umm Kulthum. And his first wife Ruqayya, uh, Ruqayya the daughter of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, uh, both Ruqayya and Umm Kulthum had been promised to the, daughter, the sons of Abu Lahab in the days of Jahiliyyah. They had been promised to the sons of Abu Lahab. And Ruqayya and Umm Kulthum were one year apart. They were one year apart. And Ruqayya had been promised to the older son, Utba ibn Abi Lahab. And Umm Kulthum had been promised to the uh, younger son. And when Islam began, and when the Prophet began preaching monotheism, as we all know, Abu Lahab became his worst enemy. And Abu Lahab was the one who instigated the boycott. And Abu Lahab was the one who said no buying and selling. And Abu Lahab wanted to demonstrate how strict he was going to be. And this was a very big uh, dishonor for the Arabs to cancel a wedding. I mean, in any culture, to be honest, right? In any culture. But especially amongst the Quraysh themselves, there would not have been any reason. Because it was common to marry a cousin, a distant relative. This was very common. And it was a very prestigious arrangement amongst the, both the, uh, uh, the Banu Hashim are marrying amongst themselves. There would not have been any reason to break it off. Uh, and in these days, of course, the Quran had not been revealed that prohibits Muslims from marrying mushriks. This is early Islam. Okay? So Abu Lahab decided to cancel. 
And in a very crude manner as well as we know, he taunted and he sent his sons to publicly break it off. And it was obviously emotional for the daughters. You can imagine. It's not something that is, uh, this is Abu Lahab for you. What do you expect? He's going to do this. And so uh, uh, Utbah and Utaybah are the two brothers. Utbah and Utaybah. Uh, they both broke off their uh, engagements, their marriages. The marriage had not been consummated, of course. It's not, it's just... Um, whether the nikah had been done or whether it was just a promise, in either case, it had not been consummated. Uh, and both Utbah and Utaybah broke off the uh, marriage. And so the Prophet ﷺ then offered Ruqayya to Uthman. And this was his first wife at the age of probably 35 or 34 years old. Uthman did not get married. Why? We'll talk about it in a while. He did not get married until the age of 34, 35. And uh, Uthman and Ruqayya uh, had a child by the name of Abdullah. And Abdullah was born in Abyssinia. He was the first child of the Muslims to be born in Abyssinia. So he is the first Muslim, the Prophet's grandson, is the first Muslim to be born in Abyssinia. And uh, he returned back to Mecca and then they went to Medina and uh, when and his mother passed away as we'll talk about then his uh, Abdullah suffered a tragic death it is said that and of course we know that the Prophet all of his children one after the other uh, passed away and his grandchildren other than uh, Fatima and the children of Fatima and we talked about this in our seerah in a much more detail why theologically and what now we talked about all of that so we don't have to go over that now uh, it is said that um, Abdullah the young boy <coughs> was barely six years old when an animal basically attacked him and uh, wounded his face close to his eyes and the wound continued to fester until he passed away from that and when he was barely uh, six years old. And he passed away in early Medina. In early Medina. And he passed away a few years after the death of his mother, Ruqayya. So Ruqayya passed away first and then Abdullah passed away. So Uthman lost both his wife and then his son. And... Uh, as for Ruqayya, when did Ruqayya die? Everybody should know when Ruqayya died. The Battle of Badr. On the very day of the victory. And this is the sunnah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that even the biggest victory of our Prophet sallallahu it was demonstrated to him that he is still human. The biggest victory of Badr. And on the same day, Ruqayya passes away. And of course, Ruqayya was very sick. And we do not know the sickness, the doctors, will, these are the different times, we don't know what was the disease. But she was so feeble and so sick that Uthman was excused from participating in Badr. And we'll come to this next Wednesday. Uh, Uthman was excused from participating in Badr in order to take care of Ruqayya. And when uh, Zayd ibn Haritha came running in from Badr, shouting and yelling that we have won and we have so-and-so has been destroyed and so-and-so, uh, that was when... He heard the news that Ruqayya is being buried. Literally when Zayd is rushing in to the city of Medina, at that point in time, Ruqayya is being uh, buried. So the Prophet was not able to attend the funeral of Ruqayya because she had already been buried when he returned to Medina. But of course he prayed and made dua for her after he uh, returned. So Ruqayya passes away and they have this young boy, Abdullah, who is probably three years old at the time. Probably three years old at the time. And at this point in time, Umar ibn al-Khattab 
his daughter Hafsa has just become a widow at Badr as well. And so he goes to Uthman and he says, my daughter Hafsa is a suitable candidate. Why don't you marry Hafsa? Okay, and Uthman ibn Affan says what? He says, I'm not interested in marrying now. And Umar knew he's interested in marrying. He has a young son. He needs to get married. And Uthman politely turned Hafsa down. And this hurt Umar. But he didn't know the real story. What was the real story? That the Prophet had been speaking about this and he knew. So out of shyness and out of modesty and out of preferring the Prophet to himself, he gave up Hafsa. And in return, Allah blessed him with someone better than Hafsa for him. And this is exactly what uh, the Prophet himself said, that when he heard that Uthman had turned Hafsa down, he himself um, said, should I not offer Uthman someone better for him? And should I not offer Hafsa someone better for her? And that is how the two marriages took place at a roughly similar time. Okay, at a roughly similar time, both of these marriages uh, took place. And uh, it was at this time that Uthman then married Umm Kulthum. Okay, Ruqayya has passed away the Battle of Badr, now Umm Kulthum. And uh, Umm Kulthum as well, she had never been previously married. Uh, and she had been promised to Utbah's younger brother, Utaybah. Utbah and Utaybah are two brothers, the sons of Abu Lahab. So Umm Kulthum had been promised to Utaybah, and uh, Utaybah... Uh, had been particularly mean and nasty and breaking off the uh, marriage. It is said in Ibn Ishaq, by the way, that uh, dua was made against him by the Prophet ﷺ, and he died a very vicious death in the days of, of, of early Islam. Uh, in fact, according to Ibn Ishaq, uh, on one of his journeys to Syria, uh, to the and of course in those days, Arabia did have lions and tigers and, and zebras, which it doesn't have right now. In those days, there were these animals, just like in Africa. So it is said that uh, a lion basically attacked him and ate him. Uh, this is Utaybah, the younger one, who was particularly cruel when he broke off the engagement and was very nasty in that. And so dua was made against him and that dua came into effect. This is uh, Umm Kulthum was betrothed to Utaybah. So Umm Kulthum's uh, betrothal is broken off and she uh, performs hijrah along with her younger sister Fatima. And the two of them are unengaged, right? They don't have anybody promised to them at this stage. And so, Umm Kulthum and Fatima come to uh, Medina. Ruqayya passes away. And the Prophet ﷺ then offers Umm Kulthum to Uthman ibn Affan. And by the way, there's no doubt that the presence of Abdullah really facilitated this marriage as well. Right? You have a young baby boy whose mother has died, a toddler whose mother has died. And we know that... As the hadith says, Al-Khalatu bi manzilatil um. This is a hadith. Al-Khalatu bi manzilatil um. The khala is like the um. Right? The mother's sister is like the mother. Okay? So, there's no question that this would have also played a role. Uh, the Prophet's grandson does not have a mother. Who better to be a mother to him than his mother's sister, his khala? And that's why, or we can say another reason for the marriage as well, would be that uh, Abdullah needed uh, uh, a mother, and therefore Umm Kulthum uh, married Uthman ibn Affan, and they stayed together for seven years. For seven years, uh, and they did not have children. Qaddar uh, Allah, Allah did not, yani, uh, there is uh, a wisdom that we don't understand, that they did not have any children. And Umm Kulthum as well passes away in the very last year of the life of the Prophet ﷺ, a few months before Hajjat al 
al-Wada' in Sha'ban of the ninth year of the Hijrah. Uh, one year before Ajudul Wada, in the uh, in the ninth year of the Hijrah in Sha'ban, uh, Umm Kuthum herself passes away, and the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam himself buries Umm Kuthum. He is present at her burial, and he buries Umm Kuthum. And I went over the details of Umm Kuthum's burial and death in the Sirah at uh, the Battle of Tabuk type. We talked about the Battle of Tabuk, and after this, we talked about the burial of uh, Umm Kulthum. So while the Prophet's daughters are his wives, he of course does not marry any other lady. After the death of the Prophet he married, some of them died, some of them widowed, uh, some of them were divorced, excuse me. And so he married six more ladies over the course of the next basically 40 years. He lived a long life. And over the course of the uh, the next 40 years, he married six other ladies, and with each of them, he had children. And I'm not going to go over all of these children, uh, because he had a total of nine sons and five daughters. MashaAllah, tabarakallah. So he had 14 children. 14 children. We're not going to go over all the names and all that. That's a whole different, uh, different level that we're not going to go to. Uh, however, none of these children are sahaba. Because obviously, when are they born? After. After. So none of them are sahaba. Okay? Because... He did not marry, uh, basically, until after the death of the Prophet ﷺ. And then children came to him at a much older age. And none of them saw the Prophet ﷺ. We will just mention, so you should know two of his children, that's it. Abdullah, you must know, because that is the grandson. Okay, that must be memorized. Of the grandsons of the Prophet ﷺ is Abdullah, who passed away at the age of six. By the way, we don't have anything else about him. Because again, this is early Medina. This is very early Medina. We don't have any information, no reports, nothing about him. Uh, the second son of Uthman, who has achieved some fame, uh, is Aban ibn Uthman ibn Affan. Aban ibn Uthman ibn Affan. And Aban was one of the most uh, famous scholars of the Tabi'un. And he is well known as a narrator of hadith. He's well known as one of the famous. So some of the children of the Sahaba, not all of them, some of the children of the Sahaba became famous scholars. And of them is Aban ibn Uthman. And also the grandson of Abu Bakr as well. Uh, Abdurrahman ibn Abi, Muhammad ibn Abi Bakr became one of the most famous scholars of his time. So some of the sons and grandsons of the Sahaba became of the most well-known ulama. Of them is Aban ibn Uthman ibn Affan. He was of the famous fuqaha of Medina. Uh, so in the generation of the Tabi'un, there were famous scholars. Aban is amongst those elite group of scholars. And he is most famous, especially for us, and his name has come up in the very first seerah that I ever gave. The very first seerah, his name has come up. Why? Because Aban ibn Uthman ibn Affan was the first person ever who wrote a booklet on the seerah. Nobody preceded him. He is the first author of the seerah. So when I talked in that lecture about the sources of the seerah, I mentioned the first author who ever wrote a book about the seerah is, is Aban ibn Uthman ibn Affan. And he wrote this at the request of the Umayyad Khalifa, Suleiman ibn Abdul Malik. Suleiman ibn Abdul Malik was the Umayyad Khalifa uh, before Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. And he requested Aban ibn Uthman to write an outline of the life of the Prophet ﷺ. That outline must have then been the first official book ever written. And this would be around uh, 85 to 90 uh, Hijrah, 90-something 90, 90 Hijrah. Uh, Aban ibn Uthman died at the age of 100. Sorry, in the Aban ibn Uthman died in the year 105 AH. He died 105 AH. 
So around 90 or 95 Hijrah, Aban writes the first booklet on the seerah. Where is this booklet? Along with everything else of that generation, we don't have it. However, we find reports in Ibn Ishaq and others. Remember, later authors came and absorbed earlier works. So Aban's source becomes one of the primary sources of Ibn Ishaq. One of the primary sources of Ibn Ishaq, and therefore we can safely assume that, uh, that Aban ibn Affan's book has been completely absorbed and scattered in appropriate places in the voluminous book of Ibn Ishaq, which is the first book that we still have of the uh, seerah. And Aban ibn Uthman uh, as well participated in the battle of the camel with Aisha radiallahu anha. And we'll talk very, very, very briefly about those battles when we get to them. And we'll just gloss over them as is the methodology of Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah. So this is the family of Uthman ibn Affan. Uthman ibn Affan, even in the days of Jahiliyyah, was known for his shyness and modesty. And in fact, it is enough of an indication that he himself never got involved with alcohol or women or any type of uh, vulgar entertainment in his entire life. In fact, he never even prostrated to an idol in the days of Jahiliyyah. And he himself says this, that I hated alcohol ever since I knew what it was. Like, who, what man of intelligence would drink? To take his mind away. He never once took a sip of alcohol, even before alcohol was haram. And this is not like many of the other sahaba, when it's halal, is halal. But Uthman ibn Affan, his fitra told him this is not good. And so he never participated in any of these uh, vulgarities. And in fact, he was so shy and so modest, that in fact, he himself never proposed to a lady. He was too shy to propose to a lady. Uh, and that's why he never got married growing up. Until the Prophet gave him his own daughter in marriage at the age of 34, 35. He was so shy that he never proposed to a lady. And only when the Prophet then offered his daughter to him, Ruqayya, did Uthman ibn Affan marry for the first time. And then the second time as well, the Prophet offered his daughter to him. Right? So this is the shyness of Uthman. Ibn Affan. And he was also known, even before the coming of Islam, for being a sharp businessman. And he had already accumulated a good amount of wealth, even in the days of Jahiliyyah. It is said that he inherited a good amount of wealth from his uh, father. Uh, Affan had passed away before the coming of Islam. We don't really have much knowledge about him. So his father had left him a good amount of money. And he used that money to buy and sell. And he would travel frequently to Syria and to Yemen. So he was involved in the caravan trading. And therefore he had amassed a good amount of of wealth even before the coming of Islam. So Uthman, because of the fact that he is from the uh, main inner tribes of the Quraysh. The Banu Umayyah is one of the inner tribes. And the Banu Hashim was one of the inner tribes. Unlike the Banu Adi and the others that are some of the outer tribes. The Banu Umayyah and the Banu Hashim are the most important clans of the Quraysh. So because Uthman is from this, and because of his akhlaq, and because of his modesty, and because of his wealth, Uthman became of the most beloved of the young men of the Quraysh. He has of the greatest potential in the future. And in fact, uh, books of Arabic literature mention that Mothers would sing uh, hymns, the baby rhymes to their to their babies to go to sleep. And one of these lines 
that the mothers would sing was that I swear by Ar-Rahman, my love for you is like the love of Quraysh for Uthman. You know, so the mothers, they sing these things to put their babies to sleep and they have these poetry. So one of these lines that became known amongst the ladies of, of the Arabian Peninsula was, That I swear by Ar-Rahman, my love for you is like the love of the Quraysh for Uthman. So Uthman became one of the most uh, beloved of the young men of the Quraysh and this is because of his pure akhlaq, it is because of his good characteristics and nature and it is because of his uh, honesty and his uh, upright characteristics. So therefore it is not surprising that when Islam was presented to him, he was immediately uh, open-minded and he was of the earliest converts to Islam. In fact, Uthman ibn Affan was the fourth person in the world to convert to Islam. The fourth uh, person to convert, the first one and two are Abu Bakr and Ali, as we know, right? Followed by Zayd. Zayd ibn Muhammad, Zayd ibn Zayd ibn Zayd ibn Haritha, the one whom the Prophet adopted and then uh, the adoption was annulled. So these are all, by the way, inner circle of the Prophet right? The best friend, the nephew, uh, the cousin, and the adopted son. So it can be said that the first person outside of the inner circle to convert is Uthman ibn Affan. Uthman ibn Affan therefore becomes the first person to convert outside of the immediate inner circle of the Prophet And how did he convert? Abu Bakr al-Siddiq was the one to give him da'wah. Abu Bakr al-Siddiq was the one to give him da'wah. And Abu Bakr al-Siddiq of course was uh, Allah Azza wa Jal used him to guide at least a dozen people to Islam in early Islam. And the first person that Abu Bakr gave da'wah to was Uthman. Which shows us the status of Uthman in the eyes of Abu Bakr as well. That Abu Bakr al-Siddiq knows who are the good people, who are the morally upright people, who are those that are already good characteristic, they're going to be attracted to Islam. Can you imagine the first person Abu Bakr knocks on the door is Uthman. And he tells Uthman that uh, the Prophet Muhammad has been sent by Allah with a new message, with Tawheed, come and listen to his teachings. So, uh, and he also goes to uh, Ubaidullah, Talha bin Ubaidullah will come to his story later on. Uh, and so Talha and Uthman, they both then come to the house of the Prophet at the invitation of Abu Bakr. The Prophet recites Quran to them. Uh, whatever had been revealed at that time, and he invites them to Islam, and Uthman immediately accepts the invitation. He says the shahada, and he becomes the fourth person to convert to Islam, after Abu Bakr and Ali and Zayd. Number four is Uthman ibn Affan. And Uthman then tells the Prophet an interesting story. This is found in the Tabaqat of Ibn Sa'd, which is one of the earliest books of history I've quoted a lot of times. And you should just at least know the name of it. Ibn Sa'd's Tabaqat is one of the earliest books of Islamic history. It predates even at tabari uh, And it is uh, uh, basically a biography of all of the early uh, Sahaba and Tabirun of Islam. And in this book, Tabaqat ibn Sa'd, he mentions the story of Uthman ibn Affan that when Uthman accepted Islam, Uthman said, O Messenger of Allah, I have a story to tell you. That why am I so quick to embrace Islam? That I've, we just returned from Asham, from Assyria. And when we were camped at such and such a place, and I was about to go to sleep just in the middle of basically sleep and wakefulness, when I heard a voice, I heard a cry. 
And the cry said, O you who are sleeping, rush back to Mecca, for indeed Ahmed has finally come forth from Mecca. No time to sleep, come back to Mecca. And as soon as I returned home, I heard that you now have a new message. Okay, And we know from the books of Sirah that the jinn became very excited and they spread this khabar and news. And so uh, Uthman ibn Affan was of those who heard this blessed uh, news and he then rushed back to uh, Mecca and Abu Bakr then approaches him and he knows this must be what I had heard. And of course uh, Uthman ibn Affan uh, at after his conversion very early on, we don't know exactly when, the Prophet then offers him Ruqayya in marriage. And one of the interesting things to note is that Khadija is still alive at this time. And so Khadija herself prepares Ruqayya and attends the wedding. And this is one of those then therefore imagine early on, right? Because Khadija did not attend the wedding of, Ruqayya, of uh, Umm Kulthum. She did not attend the wedding of uh, Fatima. Okay, so this is the last wedding that Khadija will attend. Okay, so uh, Khadija was the one who prepares, and so uh, Uthman becomes the son-in-law of Khadija as well. Okay, and so that's, of course, we don't know any details, but clearly Uthman radiallahu anhu as well would have met Khadija, because now they are mahram, and uh, we don't know anything of that conversation and whatnot, but he's one of the few people who has also met with uh, Khadija radiallahu anhu. Now Uthman, because of his high social status and standing, he was not tortured the way that the non-Qurashis were tortured physically. He was not tortured the way that the non-Qurashis were tortured. And we don't know of any incident involving him being inflicted with physical pain other than one minor incident. So we don't know of anything that happened to him. And this by the way shows that the Quraysh really loved him so much. That he is so beloved to them. That they actually never did anything against him other than his own uncle, his father's brother. And of course his father's brother will get away with more than a stranger will. That it is mentioned once that uh, perhaps he was visiting his uncle, we don't know how. But his uncle, his father's brother, uh, Al-Hakam ibn Abil As, uh, one day then basically tied him up. Most likely in his own house, whatever, he tied him up. And he said, I'm not going to set you free until you worship our gods and give up your religion. How dare you abandon the religion of our forefathers? How dare you abandon uh, paganism? And uh, Uthman refused to give up and he said, Wallahi, I will never leave Islam. And eventually Al-Hakam then released him. This is really all that we know of the uh, physical pain inflicted on Uthman. Uh, and there's no question that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected him because he was so beloved, even to his own people who did not like Islam. They could not get themselves to hurt this humble, shy, modest young man that they knew growing up. They did not gang up on him the way that they ganged up and even killed Yasir and Sumayya and Bilal. We all know their stories. So there's no doubt that Uthman therefore feeling the tension as well going on and perhaps because of this incident, Uthman decided to be of those who emigrate to Habasha to Abyssinia. So Uthman took Ruqayya with him Amongst the first batch that immigrated to Abyssinia. And when did this take place? Which year? Which year did it take place? The? The fifth year after the Ba'tha. You're guessing, but you guessed right. Okay. It's the fifth year after the Ba'tha. You're right. 
is the fifth year after the Ba'tha, okay? Uh, the, the, the spreading of Islam, the coming of Islam. The fifth year after the preaching of Islam, uh, the Muslims emigrate to Abyssinia, and Uthman and his wife Ruqayya are of the first batch. Remember, there were two batches, remember? There were two batches. Uthman and Ruqayya are of the first batch, and they are of the first families to emigrate. And it is said in a hadith uh, uh, that some scholars say is life and it's not, but the concept is valid that the Prophet ﷺ made special dua for Ruqayya and Uthman, that may Allah accompany you. Uthman is the first person to make hijrah with his wife after the Prophet Lot, after Lut. From the time of Lot or Lut up until now, nobody has had to flee because of persecution of religion with his wife till the time of Uthman. Uh, so Allah knows best of the authenticity of this hadith, but uh, it is uh, of the things that is that is mentioned. And Uthman then returned back when the rumor spread that the Quraysh had accepted Islam, and then he did not go back to Abyssinia. He then stayed. Okay. So Uthman and Ruqayya lived in Abyssinia for a few months. Abdullah is born there. So Ruqayya was pregnant when they went. By the way, I forgot to mention that. Ruqayya was pregnant when they went to uh, Abyssinia. She gives birth in Abyssinia. They bring the child back when the rumors spread that the Quraysh have accepted Islam. You all know this is all rehashing. We're just putting Uthman's narrative into the timeline that inshallah everybody knows, uh, hopefully, correct? This is well-known stuff inshallah. Okay, so Uthman comes back. Then the second emigration happens, correct? He does not go with the second emigration for reasons that are not fully clear, but most likely he then felt that it is better for him to stay in Mecca, that some security will be achieved in Mecca, and uh, he then remained uh, in Mecca uh, with Ruqayya and Abdullah, and then he migrated to Medina. He migrated to Medina, uh, and so he is one of the few Sahaba who is basically Dhul Hijratain, both Hijras. This is a great honor. There's an elite group of Sahaba, they did both Hijras to Abyssinia and to Medina, and Uthman ibn Affan is at the top of that list. Um, and we'll just have one more topic, inshallah, we'll do, and then we'll next week we'll talk about uh, the Medinan phase of Uthman. One more thing I wanted to talk about, because I knew I wouldn't have time to do all of the Medinan phase, but I just wanted to mention one more thing about Uthman ibn Affan, that from the beginning, Uthman ibn Affan is associated with the Qur'an. He is associated with recitation of the Qur'an, the preservation of the Qur'an, the memorization of the Qur'an. He is, in fact, out of the four khulafa. All of them are associated with the Qur'an, but Uthman has the most association with the Qur'an. And Uthman ibn Affan uh, was of those uh, who, in fact, he is the narrator of the famous hadith in Sahih Bukhari. He is the one who narrated it. All of you know the hadith, but he is the narrator. خَيْرُكُمْ مَنْ تَعَلَّمَ الْقُرْآنَ وَعَلَّمَهُ This is from Uthman ibn Affan. Narrated. The best of you are those who learn the Qur'an and then teach it to others. And he was well known amongst the Sahaba for being of those who recite large quantities of the Qur'an. And he is one of the main narrators of the Qur'an as well. So anyone who gets an ijazah or a sanad of the Qur'an, right? one of the main ijazat or the sanad, it goes through Uthman ibn Affan, and even the ijazah that I have, it goes through Uthman ibn Affan to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So the uh, Uthman ibn Affan's preservation of the Qur'an is something that is well documented. And he was of those who said, he was of those who said that if our hearts were pure, we would never get tired of reading the Qur'an. If our hearts were pure, we would never get tired of reading the Qur'an. And he was 
uh, of those who said that I don't like it that a single day goes by without me looking at the Quran. I can't stand a day going by without looking at the Quran. And he was the one who said, three are the things that are beloved to me of this world. Number one, feeding the hungry. Number two, clothing the naked. And number three, reading the Quran. These three things I love the most. And in fact, we all know, uh, well it is also narrated that uh, he would read large portions of the Quran at night. In fact, it is narrated from some of the tabi'un that Uthman ibn Affan was one of the few people who would recite the entire Quran in one night. Now, this is something that technically is not encouraged for the masses, for us. And there are a hadith about this. But there are exceptions, and people like Uthman deserve those exceptions. The general rule, our Prophet said, you will not understand the Quran if you read it in less than three. Right? So 10 Jews a day is the max that the ultra-righteous should aim for. And who amongst us has ever done that? Okay? Wallahi, we're lucky if we finish it in one year. But that's besides the point. So the point being that the general rule, you should not read the Quran all in one sitting or gathering. But Uthman and a few others, it is narrated from them, very few, that they would recite the entire Quran in one night. In fact, in the Musannaf, it actually is mentioned, and Allah knows if this is authentic or not, that one time Uthman finished the whole Quran in one rak'ah. One rak'ah, and that was what he prayed. That's it, he didn't pray anything else that night. Now, the, if you look at the, um, the time that it takes, this is a question that comes, is it even possible to recite the Quran in one night? So if you look at uh, the tartil that some of the Qur'an do, that are very quick in their recitation, uh, you can say around some of them, some of them have quick recitation. So, uh, so Abdul Bas and others that have slow recitation, they go to 27 hours, 25 hours, right? 25, 27 hours, okay? Uh, but there are those who recite very quickly with proper tartil. You can tajweed, you can still listen to them. And they've done it in 15, 16 hours. And this is on YouTube where you put it all together, it's around 15, 16 hours. So imagine if somebody is reciting with tajweed, and you can follow along, and it takes around 15 and a half hours, okay? So then somebody like Uthman, who is reciting to himself without tajweed, right, quickly, it is understandable that 10 hours, for example, he might be able to zoom over the Qur'an, that somebody like Uthman has, is an exception for the rule. So realistically, it is possible that if you begin at Isha, and you are an Uthman ibn Affan, Realistically, it is possible. It's not impossible. Nonetheless, alhamdulillah, we don't have to aim for that at all. It's not something that we should even strive for. And as I said, wallahi, it's lucky if we even read three pages a day. That's the reality that unfortunately, wallahi musta'an, many of us don't have that relationship with the Qur'an. Nonetheless, Uthman was of those who always had a very, very strong relationship with the uh, Qur'an. And in fact, it is befitting, therefore, that he dies and is martyred and is killed with the Mus'haf in front of him, reading the Qur'an, and his blood literally falls on the Mus'haf. This is a befitting death for Uthman ibn Affan, and therefore it is not a surprise that the single Sahabi who is most associated with the preservation of the Qur'an up until today is Uthman ibn Affan. In fact, we call the Mus'haf, what do we call it? 
Al-Mus'haf Al-Uthmani. Don't we call it the Uthmani Mus'haf, right? Why? Because Uthman ibn Affan was the one who took charge of preserving the Mus'haf, of collecting it. We'll talk about that, inshallah ta'ala, uh, in our next, uh, not in the next one, in the one after that. But the point is that the name of the Mus'haf that we call it, even in English, the Uthmanic Canon, even in English, we call it the Uthmanic Canon. So out of all of the Sahaba, the one uh, person who is most associated with the Qur'an, and it is so befitting, and this is how Allah rewards uh, the, 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 the sincere and those that are righteous, that Uthman ibn Affan's name is forever associated, even amongst non-Muslim academics. They say the Uthmanic recession, the Uthmanic Canon, the Uthmanic Mus'haf. And that's to this day. If you look at it, we say, why? We'll talk about, of course, the details, you know, vaguely, but we'll talk about them, inshallah, in, in two weeks. The Uthmanic canonization and collection of the Qur'an. Uh, and this is of the blessings of Allah to Uthman ibn Affan. And inshallah, with this, we will pause uh, for today and continue, inshallah ta'ala, next Wednesday, bi'idhnillahi ta'ala. Okay. Very quickly, your question, bismillah, and then we conclude. We will talk about this when we get there, inshallah. And I have given much longer lectures in this regard. Very quickly, any other questions before we uh, finish for today, inshallah, about Uthman ibn Affan? Yes. Abdul Manaf. Abdul Manaf is the great, great grandfather. Uh, and they are both equidistant. Four. Equidistant. The Prophet and Uthman are equally from Abdul Manaf, inshallah. So, inshallah, we will continue next Wednesday with the life of Uthman in Medina.